We've got a small group, but we're going to start. Hey, Dave Nelson, would you lead us in prayer? Yeah. <clears throat> Dear Father, thank you so much for this morning, and mm-hmm. thank you that you love us. Thank you that you sent your son to die for us and to live for us. And thank you for the security, the absolute rock-solid security we have because of what you have done. And, and so, Lord, bless us this morning. Bless Bill as he teaches us. And we just pray that you would minister to each one of us and that you would be made big in our minds and hearts. Amen. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate it. Okay. We're dealing with the fifth commandment. And we have uh, the fifth commandment is the first commandment in the second table of the law. This is very important. It's the first commandment in the second table because the parent-child relationship is foundational to the social order. The parent-child relationship is foundational to the social order. So for the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about the fifth commandment. The implications are really big from this commandment. And in fact, I would say one of the great breakdowns that's taking place in our culture, the the moral and social breakdown can all be attributed right here to a failure to obey the fifth commandment. Teach our children to obey, for us to honor and obey our our parents, and uh, et cetera, et cetera. The family, Wayne Grudem says, is the foundational building block for all of society. And it is. It's where we learn about how to relate to government. It's where we learn how to relate to our teachers. It's where we learn how to relate to civil authorities, to police, the fire department, et cetera, et cetera. So when this commandment breaks down, then everything else goes south. Here's a picture of the two tables of the law. Now, They're joined together, which isn't fair because the two tables were two separate tables. But it gives you an an idea of how the tables of the law worked. So when Jesus was asked, which is the greatest commandment? Jesus said, the first commandment is, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And then that's the first, first, he's summing up the first uh, table. And the second commandment is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. He's summing up the second table. You see on the first table we have, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make unto thee a graven image. You shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. All those commandments have to do with loving God. And here we have on the second table, the commandments that have to do with loving our fellow man. And it starts with honor your father and your mother. It's no accident. It's when God put the Ten Commandments together, he had the, the, the first commandment on the second table had to do with the family and parenting because it's foundational to everything that follows. So where do we learn not to kill? By from our parents. If we don't have parents to discipline us and teach us and train us, we'll become little monsters. I have a, where do we learn that we shall not commit adultery? From our parents. Where do we learn that you should not steal? From our parents. Where do we learn about not coveting and not bearing false witness from our parents? Parenting and family are crucial. And when, again, when they break down, and this thing, then the whole social order unravels. We can blame virtually everything we're witnessing right now in our culture, all the dysfunctions, the infighting, the hatred, the craziness in terms of sexual ethics, 
uh, on and on and on can all be blamed to a collapse of the parenting commandment. It's, uh, interestingly, this commandment is repeated exactly three times in Scripture. Now, if you you all have heard me talk enough to know that I always mention whenever something's repeated exactly three times in the Bible, it's really important. So, for example, three times the Bible t- says that humanity are worms. The first, <laughs> exactly three times. Jesus on the cross says, I am a worm and not a man. And then in Isaiah, we have the same thing. Uh, God calls his children worms. And so uh, three times the Bible tells us, exactly three times, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. When the angels uh, appear uh, to Isaiah in his vision, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. In other words, the threefold repetition is there for emphasis. And so three times we have this commandment repeated. The first time is in Exodus 20. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. Then later on in Deuteronomy, it's repeated again. And because it's repeated, a couple things are added, which I've underlined. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you. In other words, it's looking back to Exodus chapter 20. That your days may be long and that it may go well with you is added in the land that the Lord your God has given you. Then we skip forward to the New Testament to Ephesians chapter 6 verse 1 through 2. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and your mother this is the first commandment with a promise. So as we, we've already mentioned several times in the Sunday school, all the 10 commandments are repeated in the New Testament except the commandment to obey the Sabbath, indicating that these, these, uh, these commandments are really important. In other words, they don't disappear in the New Testament. They're there, they're, they're there for our instruction to help, help us understand God's will for our life. And so we, here we have. So here's where we're going to go. We're going to talk about what it means to honor. We're going to talk about who God wants you to honor. And then we're going to talk about why you should care. Okay? So what it means to honor, who God wants you to honor, and why you should care. What it doesn't mean to honor your father and your mother. This is very important. This is what it doesn't mean. And notice... In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus said, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So the first thing it means is we always love God more than our parents. We always honor God more than we honor our parents. And if that ever gets reversed, we're in really big trouble with the Lord. Here we have Luke chapter 14. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So hate. So here we have honor your father and your mother. You need to hate your father and mother. How do we reconcile those two things? Well, obviously, Jesus doesn't mean real hate. He means that we need to love God so much more than we love our parents. So our love for our parents is like hatred by contrast. In other words, the emphasis here is upon uh, uh, loving God more than we would love our parents. 
This has been personally very painful for me. My, both my parents are now deceased, but my parents are very disappointed that I became a Protestant. And my wife's parents the same way. We both, in both cases, we had to uh, disappoint our parents and incur their displeasure with us for things that we did spiritually. I remember one time my dad, when, <coughs> excuse me, about 20 years after I left the Catholic Church, I mean, he wouldn't talk to me about it at all. I, I tried to talk to him about the gospel several times, but one day he said, why, why, did you, why have you become a Lutheran anyway? So to my dad, everybody that was a Protestant was a Lutheran. And <clears throat> I said, well, because I think Luther got it right. Uh, Luther understood justification by faith alone. I just, he said, then he said to me, well, you'll be back someday, back to the Catholic Church. So sometimes walking out this commandment can be very painful for us. It can cause conflict in our families. And uh, even though the commandment is designed to bring unity to the family, it doesn't always do that. Jesus warned us that those that will be the first to persecute us oftentimes are family members, parents, brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles, children, et cetera, et cetera. So this is what it doesn't mean to honor. So what it means to honor, the word translated honor is the Hebrew word kabod, which is the word we get for glorify. So kabod just means heaviness or weight of heaviness. The idea is that God's glory is something that's heavy with significance, like a, like a big 100-pound lead weight. It's heavy with significance. It's heavy with importance. That's the central idea behind the word translated glory. And it's the same word that's used for honor your father and your mother. The word for honor is the word kabod. So what honoring means is a function of age and relationship. So when you're 10 years old and living in your parents' home, honoring means one thing. When you're 30 years old and, have, and you're married and you have your own children, honoring means something else. So uh, for children at home, it means obey, respect, honor, and be grateful for your parents. This can be difficult because sometimes we have less than ideal parents. And some of you grew up in homes where your, the parenting wasn't great, your, maybe your your parents fought a lot. Maybe your dad or your mom was, was uh, not very loving and affectionate or whatever. But it, that doesn't change our duty to obey this commandment. The only exception is when a parent asks you to do something contrary to God's will. So, uh, you know, I could, I'm thinking of uh, Dave Nelson's father who was converted as a child through a child fellowship program. Dave could tell the story better than I, but I remember his dad told me several times that he would, his parents were not believers, so he would, he would go to church, he'd get up in the morning and when he was a child and head off to church, right Dave? And you know, he, if his parents had said, you can't go to church, that's probably a situation where he would have needed to, it would have been, the right thing for them to do would have been to disobey them. But that's, it's not very often that a parent's going to ask you to do something that's directly contrary to God's will. But it happens sometimes. Honoring changes when you move away from home or get married. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That's Genesis chapter 2. So that's describing 
what marriage, how marriage changes our relationship with our parents. Before we're married, when we're still living at home, or uh, if we're 24 years old and living away from home, at, when either we're married and we're li living away from home, or we're out of the house and living away, that our relationship with what honoring means changes. So it doesn't necessarily mean obeying our parents. It does mean respecting them, listening to them, considering their counsel, if they give us counsel about something. Um, uh, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we need to obey them. And the, that, the idea is very implicit here. Leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they become one flesh. In other words, the husband and wife form a new marital uh, community. I know Judy and I have five adult married children, and we are very, very reluctant to intervene in their lives. Okay, because, because of this text, our children have left their parents and they've, they've held fast to their spouse and they become one flesh with somebody else. And when that happens, uh, if they come and ask our advice, we give it. But we're pretty reluctant to give our advice otherwise because they're a marital community. And we, we are, are, are reluctant. If it was something really, really bad or serious, we would, uh, life-threatening or something, we would give our counsel for something. But generally, we try to stay just happy grandparents, okay? I have a friend of mine that called, I got a text from him a couple weeks ago and he said, Bill, I want to talk, I need some counsel. He lives in the Midwest. He's a grandpa, he's a guy my age, whose adult children are grown. And he said, I'm having problems with my, my daughter's married to a guy that's not treating her very well. And I don't know what to do. I don't know whether to intervene and uh, talk to the young man, our, our son-in-law, or whether to stay disengaged, what is your counsel? And I said, uh, this young couple are very well known. Some of you have heard of them. He, he's a leader in the church. He's written a bunch of books. I said, try to get someone, try to get them to someone else beside yourself for counsel. In other words, tell your daughter, go to the leaders of the church and get counsel. Uh, go to the counseling team at your church and get counsel, but try to as much as you can stay out of it. And because it just because of there, there's a difference here. A man should leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Okay. For adults, honoring parents is a heart attitude that expresses reverence or respect, and most importantly, gratitude. So I'm so thankful for my parents. And even though I had to disappoint them when I became a Christian, I, I look back on my life and I had a stable upbringing from parents that loved me, they disciplined me, they paid for private education for me, uh, they stayed faithful to each other. Uh, all these things created a, a, a stable environment for me to grow up in and for which I'm the beneficiary today. I'm so thankful for that. Deeply, deeply thankful, okay? So I'm thankful for my parents. And parents do not need to earn this. Godly children give it regardless of their parents' performance, okay? So we're talking about honoring. Honoring means caring for parents in old age if they need it. Now, I say if they need it because it's different with everybody. But if you got, 
Here's what Jesus said to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 15. Jesus answered the Pharisees, and why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. We'll come to that text in a few minutes. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. And what the Jews were doing is they said to people, listen, if you take the money that you would have spent on caring for your aged parents and you give it to the temple treasury instead, you don't have to take care of your parents. And Jesus said, wrong, that's a big mistake. The, fourth, the fifth commandment, although it doesn't say this explicitly, the implication of the fifth commandment is that what it means to honor our parents is we take care of them as they get older. So my parents are dead. I'm in the position now where my kids are getting ready to take care of me. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's important that as much as possible, as, they get your, as your parents get older, if they need financial help and you can help them, great. If moving them into your home is helpful, great. Maybe they don't need financial help, but they need from you uh, relationship, friendship, love, care, and affection, okay? So it, it, the need depends, varies from parent to parent and situation to situation. We're talking about what it means to honor our parents. Calvin wrote, he said, now the fifth commandment strongly conflicts with the depravity of human nature, which, swollen with the longing for lofty position, bears subjection grudgingly. In other words, we don't like to be told what to do, is what Calvin's saying. Accordingly, God has put forward as an example that kind of superiority of parents, which is by nature most amiable and least invidious, because he could thus more easily soften and bend our wills to the habit of submission. By that submission, which is easiest to tolerate, the Lord therefore gradually accustoms us to all lawful subjection. Now, that's, that's kind of a wordy mouthful, but what Calvin's saying is this, is that God in his kindness has given us people to teach us subjection to authority who love us. Where he could have put us in a situation where we had tyrants raising us that were, are teaching us to submit to authority and it's very painful for us. He's made it easier by giving us parents that love us and have an investment in us. So what's our application of honoring? Children, first application is children at home obey your parents. Adults, honor your parents. And parents, demand that your children obey and honor you. Here's the application to us as, as parents, since we don't have any little people in the audience today, is that we see the importance of this and we and we teach our children, we expect our children, we demand that our, our children submit to us. Okay, do this to parents. Set an example. Honor your parents. Train your children to honor you and therefore the Lord. Don't expose your children to the wrath of God. And we're going to come to some text in just a moment here. This is very, very serious and very, very important. And I saw this when my kids were young. I get up in the morning to study the Bible every day when I was in my 30s. And I began to see all these texts, which we'll read in a moment here, about how God feels about child rebellion. And when I saw that, I thought, man, 
I need to teach my kids to obey, because if I don't, I'm exposing them to the wrath of God. They're, gonna, they're, they're not going to be able to obey authority, submit to authority, submit to a boss, submit to the elders of the church. They're not going to be able to be, get married and, and maintain a fruitful relationship with a member of the opposite sex, because they cannot control themselves. Okay? So don't expose them to the wrath of God. God hates child rebellion. Exodus chapter 21, verses 17. Whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. Now in the Old Testament, this was, obedience to parents was such a serious issue that uh, cursing a parent, which is the exact opposite of honoring a parent, brought on the death penalty. Okay? Well, obviously that is not the case anymore, but that tells us, because we're in the New Testament age, but that is a window for us into how God feels about this, how important this is to the Lord. Whoever strikes his father or his mother shall be put to death. I was in a grocery store a couple years ago in a Safeway, and there was a child having a meltdown in the aisle with his, with his mother, maybe three and a half years of age. And the child went like this and kicked the mother in the shin. And I thought to myself, oh my goodness. <sighs> You know, and the mother just tolerated it, kind of grabbed the child and shook the child a little bit, yelled it back at the child, and said, here's really bad parenting, that this would be allowed, that the mother would allow that to happen. That my kid hit my wife in any way, shape, or form, that kid would be seriously uh, wishing he hadn't done that, okay? <laughs> I don't know how to say it, because I love the child. Okay? And that's a direct, that's just a horrendous uh, act of rebellion against authority. For anyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood is upon him. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 9. Okay, we're dead and we're with the Lord. We're going to see all this in a, with fresh insight. All right? If one curses his father or his mother... His lamp will be put out in utter darkness, Proverbs chapter 20. The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures, Proverbs chapter 30. Cursed be anyone who dishonors this father or his mother, and all the people shall say amen, Deuteronomy 27. There's a scene, as I remember, and I hope I've got this right, in The Passion of the Christ, Mel Gibson's movie. Jesus is hanging on the cross, and ravens come down to the cross, and they start pecking at his half-dead body, okay? And I thought of this text right away as I'm watching it. The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. What's, in that scene, what's Jesus doing? He's atoning. He's taking, he's taking the punishment that we deserve for our rebellion against authority. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. So this is the Bible telling us why should we discipline our children? Because God's a disciplinarian. God is a father and we are children in his family. And God the Father disciplines us. And his discipline can be very painful. When he disciplines us, it's because he loves us, because he's trying to deepen us 
so that we might share the peaceful fruit of, of holiness. God wants us to be holy. God wants us to be fruitful, so he will discipline us. Well, if God disciplines as a parent, he's our model. We also then should discipline our children. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Diligent. Diligent. That means I, method I methodically discipline my children. I don't give up. My child does this. I've got a strong-willed child that does the same wrong thing four, five, 10, 15 times in a row. I don't quit disciplining them. I don't get exasperated. I'm diligent. I'm faithful. I've, this God has given me this child as a stewardship. He loves my child. He expects me to discipline my child. And I'm going to be faithful to do that. And I'm going to win the battle, not my child. Okay? Whoever, uh, discipline your son for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. An undisciplined child is a child that, that is a child heading for spiritual death. I have a, Judy and I have a, a distant relative who uh, has a son who's about, about 11 or 12 today. And these, this couple are not Christians. The parents aren't. And whenever we go to family gatherings, this child is there. This child is totally unrestrained. It just, it just breaks our hearts to see it. We feel so, we feel so bad for the child because the child doesn't have a chance in the real world and real life. He's out of control, completely out of control. Nobody wants to be around the family. Nobody wants to be around the child. The parents will not discipline him. They just, they'll do whatever, but they will not discipline him. And so these, uh, I don't know what the child's going to end up like when he's an adult. But he's I have, very unlikely that he's going to be able to hold down a job or enter into a normal fruitful marriage or do any of the things that people normally do because he's not been disciplined. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. I got an email from a man in London last week who read my book on parenting, and he's probably 35-ish. He said, I have three children, an 11-year-old, an 8-year-old, and a 4-year-old. And he said, I read your book, and I realized I've never disciplined my children. I need to spank my children. What are your thoughts? So I wrote back to him and said, well, it depends on your conviction. How much do you believe the Bible? Because the Bible is really clear on spanking. It couldn't be any clearer. It's so crystal clear, it's hard to put words to it. So I said, I sent him all these texts, and I said, it's, it's, uh, this will depend on your conviction about God, the authority of God's word in your life. So uh, he said, well, my 11-year-old, it's going to be, it would be really humiliating for me to discipline her now, and I've never spanked her ever. I said, well, then sit your kids down and say, I want to ask your forgiveness. I've not obeyed God. I've raised you without spanking you, and the Bible is very clear that I need to do that. So I'm asking your forgiveness for not loving you the way God wants me to love you, and I'm, it's going to change today. That's what I told him I would do if I was him. And I never heard back from him. I don't know what happened, but... Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. A whip for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the back of fools. Now, you're, the Bible tells us that we're all born foolish. Foolishness is bound up in our hearts. And so the, when it says, 
uh, a rod for the back of fools, that's not meaning some especially bad child. It's saying all children come out of the womb fools. Blows that wound cleanse away evil. Strokes make clean the innermost parts. So the Bible's not sentimental about child raising. The Bible's very down to earth. In biblical culture, it's presumed that childhood is a time for to, to learn to control our passions, to learn to restrain ourselves, to learn how to control our emotions and control uh, our actions, not be impulsive. And, and, and it's, the Bible presumes that that means there's going to be pain as we're learning those things. Modern uh, 21st century therapy assumes just the opposite. If a child is not happy during childhood, they're not going to be a fruitful adult. There's absolutely no proof that that's the case. In fact, just the opposite. Uh, and then that's only changed really since the 1960s. Prior to the 1960s, everybody assumed childhood was a time to suffer pain when necessary. Okay? And, if we, and, if, and if kids went through that, if parents uh, disciplined their children, that the child would grow up and be happy as an adult. Hello. The most effective form of discipline combines, first of all, high levels of control and discipline, releasing the child as he or she gets older, so less and less control and less discipline as they get older. And number two, very important, with equally high levels of affection, love, and encouragement. Okay? If you don't combine discipline with lots of affection, with lots of love, lots of encouragement, it will not be as helpful as if you do combine it with affection, love, and encouragement. Why should we do that? Because that's how God relates to us. God disciplines us, but God never withdraws his love or affection from us. He disciplines us because he loves us and because he feels affection for us. By the way, spanking is still legal in all 50 states and in the District of Columbia. Now, this guy that wrote to me from London, I think it's illegal in Wales. I think it's illegal in Scotland but I think it's still legal in England. I've got a daughter that lives in England that I'm pretty sure it's still legal there. Okay, so that was our first question. We asked our first question, what does it mean to honor? And so we talked about what it doesn't mean to honor, we talked about what it does mean to honor, and then we talked about the implications of that, which is we need to honor our parents, we also need to teach our children to honor us. We're, we're duty-bound, that's a stewardship that God has given us if we have children. And we need to do that because the implications, the consequences are, are very significant. Who should children honor? The Bible says father and mother. Now, I'm, I'm just bringing this out because there's no other ancient religious code that says both father and mother should be honored. It, in all the other religions, it would just be the father. But in Christianity, it's the father and the mother that are honored because women are equal, joint heirs of life with their husbands. Biblical Christianity gives women a really high status, not given them by Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, or any of the other major world religions. I just want to stress that for a minute. Both parents are honored. It's the duty of parents to make sure ch children honor their spouse. So it's the husband's duty to make sure the children honor his wife, and it's the wife's duty to make sure the children honor their father. And third question is, why should you care about this? You know, why is this important? Why should you care? Well, the Bible tells us it's the first commandment with a promise. 
promise of long days and that it will go well with you in the land. So there's this general promise of prosperity to our children. We start out by saying that this commandment is the foundation of the social order because parent, God has given children parents to, to teach them, to be models for them, to shape their character so that when, so that when they grow up they can become uh, effective and fruitful adults. When, that, when this system breaks down, then we have the inner cities like we have right now. So, and we'll spend more time on that next week. Okay. You should also care because of the threat of multi-generational cursing. Now this is, we're going back to the second commandment, Exodus chapter 20. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. In, the, in this context, hating me is creating an idol of God, a, a statue or a painting, and I'm bowing down and worshiping a God through that. To the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. The important thing is that the fruits of parenting go travel downhill uh, dramatically. In other words, when the parenting process breaks down, uh, either because we have single parent or because uh, we have parents that just are permissive parents and they don't deal with their kids, then the, the grandparents of those, the grandchildren of those parents and the great-grandchildren of those parents and the great-great-grandchildren of those parents are all affected by that. So we have all been affected by our great-grandparents and great-great-grandparents that we may have never even known. And, but they're maybe we, we got really good parenting because both of our parents came from families that were intact where the parents disciplined their children and our parents got married and stayed together and raised us and disciplined us. And now we're raising and disciplining our children. And that goes, that's a process that goes on for multiple generations. And the Bible is very sensitive to this. The Bible is telling us that God sees that and God has designed the family to work this way. So that when parents um, don't honor their parents or parents don't discipline and raise their children the way God wants, there are multiple generational consequences to that. So you can look in the Logan neighborhood here, for example. If you walk around, and uh, we have lots of single parents here. And that's a process that's gone on for, for multiple generations, going back to the 60s. In 1973, Judy and I moved into a house over uh, right by St. Al's grade school. We lived in this neighborhood. There were not nearly the level of single parents and poverty that there is in this neighborhood now. What's happened? Well, we've gone through two, three generations of people that have grown up here. A young lady, uh, 17 years old, gets pregnant in high school. She's not married. She has a baby. Maybe she moves off from her parents and tries to raise the baby on her own. She has several live-in boyfriends over a period of time. Maybe she has more children. And then those children grow up, and now they've grown up in a dysfunctional family. And so they, they just perpetuate that. And it's just the opposite where families stay together. Charles Murray just came out with a book. Charles Murray is a major social, um, how many of you know who Charles Murray is? He's a, he's a major social critic. His book's called Coming Apart. But in the book he makes the point that we can, 
we just look at zip codes in the United States, we can tell the, the amount of wealth in the zip code is a function of the family going back about three generations. So we can separate the United States out by zip codes and uh, the wealthy zip codes are all zip codes where most of the people go to church and most of the couples are married and, and stay married and they discipline and raise their children, okay? And we can do the same with the, with, with the zip codes that are uh, poverty-stricken and dysfunctional. That's because of this text. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long. In summary then, going back to our three, three times that we have these, this commandment repeated. Let's read this together out loud. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. Exodus 20. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long, and that it may go well with you in the land, and that the Lord your God has given you. Deuteronomy 5 and Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. So where have we been? We talked about what it means to honor. We talked about what it means not, what it doesn't mean. We talked about what it does mean. We talked about the importance of honoring. We said that what honoring means depends upon uh, our age and our relationship with our parents, whether we're still in, in, the, in the home or whether we're out on our own. Who God wants you to honor, both husband and wife, why should you care? Because there's huge implications to whether we faithfully honor our parents or not. Any comments or questions? Yes, Dwayne. In Martin Luther's uh, explanation of this commandment, he extrapolates out uh, beyond father and mother to superiors or anybody who'd be in charge of a soul. As a child, that would be a school teacher, a police officer, and so forth. Comments on that? Yeah, that's right. So, so you're, are you saying that, uh, that we learn to submit to authority in general through our parents, and then we, we become faithful. Yeah, that's right. That's why this is the first uh, commandment on the second table, because everything proceeds from this in culture. Yeah. And Luther's right. Uh, Dave. Thanks, Dave. A great question. Great comment. So, you know, there's, there's all kinds of sexual abuse now that takes place in families. Physical. Yeah. Physical abuse. You know, beating kids in ways that are really inappropriate. Kicking, hitting, clubbing. I mean, you know, yeah. What do I say? Well, you still need to honor your, if you're, that, that person was say is an adult now, they're 18, 19, 20, they still need to honor their parent and be thankful, but uh, they, they will you know, be, they'll be scarred by that for life probably. 
But the gospel is wonderful because the gospel enters into someone's life in that situation and begins to reorder and change everything. And they can marry and have a fruitful, happy marriage and reverse that whole downward skid. And they can have their children. We have many examples of that here in the church where they grew up in really dysfunctional environments. They came to Christ. They've married. They've, um, I'm thinking of Teresa, for example. You had a big part in that, Dave. But, you know, people, she's the gal that used to go to our church here. She came from a really dysfunctional environment. She's now married, has two kids, stably married. They're doing pretty well spiritually. Her two kids are going to grow up uh, and probably be well-adjusted adults, just the exact opposite of their mom and the way she, she was raised. So, and, the, and now things are reversed, and we got, we got positive things going down for many generations. So there's hope, hope in the gospel. Well, it's 8.30, it's time for intercession. So let's gather in small groups, turn your chairs around and let's pray together. Let's, let's pray the Our Father this morning. Let's start with the first, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a moment to, uh, the Our Father breaks down, I think, into six different